Kia ora, my name is Kath Cocker and I am doing a series of interviews for the 2020 Puaka Matariki Festival. First interview being with Ani Wakoda, who is an artist who resides in Tamaki Makoto at the moment and was also part of the Otipoti View from the Shore exhibition. Kia ora, Ani, why are you there? Hey. How's it going? Good. Um, I'm just making sure that I'm joining with the right microphone. Yes, I am. Okay, cool. So, how, so how's the Auckland? Is it beautiful and sunny at the moment or is it? Uh, it's been kind of a miserable um, weekend, but, but it's really nice today. Oh, good. Yeah, it's beautiful down here today as well. Mm. Which star of Matariki do you think is... Did you do you find interesting? Honestly, I don't know that much about the star constellations. I'm a bit of a pleb, but I do like the idea of celebrating the Māori New Year, um, especially because it's like one way to break away from the colonial <laughs> narrative structure. You know, it's like, oh, this is like another chance to hit reset. That's not the traditional New Year's. Yeah, sure. That's true. And also, it's kind of accurate, more accurate probably to this side of this um, world as well, I I think. Yeah. Yeah. Totally, exactly, yeah. For that reason as well. Um, mm. Yeah, for sure. So I looked at your pa- that I've been looking at your artwork, of course, and I've, the, the painting, that image that you sent me, which will mm. be put up with the podcast on the Matariki website is really, really interesting. And I was wondering if you wanted to talk a little bit about that image because it, what, what is it called to start with, the painting that you sent me? Um, I, it doesn't really have a name, but I guess in my head um, I've been calling it like the room with the stained glass windows kind of oh. thing. Oh, right. Um, and I don't know, like, it was kind of inspired when I was in, like, a weird, like, liminal relationship space. And I'd been staying over at this. He was this, like, terrible musician. Like, he was a good musician, but it was a terrible relationship. And I'd been staying in his house quite a lot and also, like, doing quite a lot of drugs. And... <laughs> I just remember this feeling of waking up in my bed and, and freaking out for a sec because we'd had a fight and thinking that I was, I wasn't sure that I was in my room and that I was safe. I thought that I was Ah. still with, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I just woke up in my own, own bed after this bender and I felt this real sense of disassociation, you know, like it was, it was like. I mean, part of it was because of the trip, but part of it was, I guess, because of be- feeling kind of disembodied and disengaged. Um, well, so that's... 
That's why she's headless. Yeah, you well, can... you captured it really well. You captured that feeling quite well in that painting, I think. Oh, Thank you. <laughs> this, it's kind of got a surreal element to it as well. And yeah. for some reason, the clock even itself gives me that impression of surrealism. It's probably because mm. I keep thinking of Dali's clock that you see up in every stoner's house in the 1970s. But, you know... <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I know what you mean. And like definitely the images drawing upon that kind of themes and images because I I really love surrealism and I've always really loved Dali. And I think at the time I was also um, quite interested in certain types of media which sort of inspired the image. Yeah, sure. It's Yeah, it's interesting, surrealism. I, I love surrealism as well. And I especially love the surreal writing, actually. Um, oh, what, what kind of writing? Uh, like Lenora, um, just a minute. Just a, a lot of it's to do with myth and stuff like that. Is, you know, they kind of create their own myths. Mm. Uh, yeah. Oh, the reason I, I personally am attracted to, to surrealism is because it, I, can, I understand it in my head. Because I mm. think, because quite often when I'm thinking, my thinking, the way that I think isn't structured like the way that you see necessarily, you know? Yeah. And like emotion is not like a linear kind of equation, I don't think. So that's why no, yeah, I, really, I really feel like surrealism is one of the only ways that we can access that like internal... Yeah, for sure. Because it's Psychology. not as yeah, I agree with that. Leonora Leonora um, Carrington, she was uh, quite a famous writer. She was British-born Mexican artist, surrealist painter, and novelist. But I've read her I've read her short stories, but they're really amazing. You should read them. Actually, you might find them quite interesting. Um, hmm. Yeah, because it, it's got your image has got that kind of mythical kind of thing going on it. I think as well. And it's really quite, um, it's really feminine. Mm. Well, some of feminine stereotypes. Yeah, 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 (laughs) definitely. And a lot of that, a lot of that femininity is borrowed. Like I, I kind of juxtaposed a couple of things I'd seen with what was going on. Um, I, have you seen the, the TV series? Um, what's it called? Sharp edges or something. No. Well, it's just about this journalist who comes back to her hometown to investigate a case. And it's a very surreal kind of horror. Oh, and oh. her her home life is all kinds of screwed and her mother's a witch. And <laughs> she's just kind of like in her room, like totally hallucinating. Um, you know, she's been taken back to this trauma that she had as a teenager, probably like the last time she was in the house. Yeah, right. And like she's lying on her bed and the cracks are getting wider in the ceiling as she's looking at them and and she's she's masturbating and she's like sees herself in this glass vase. Um oh, like, wow. Yeah, and as as she like rolls over and then like sees herself in this like nightmarish form in this glass vase, and the cinematography is amazing. Um, yeah, it's just like an amazing scene, and I think I I saw that and I was kind of inspired, and I had had a similar hallucination where I where I was in my bed, not sure where I was, and I almost felt the room kind of tilt, you know, like oh. 
<laughs> that was a lot of that was a lot of that was a lot of consumption that happened the night before. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. And um yeah, I I guess I was just trying to like figure out what that room looked like. And you can see that like in the floor the wood paneling is sort of dissolving into almost water. Oh right. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yep. Well, like they're kind of the same thing. Mm. Yeah. They merge yeah. into the same place. Yeah. Which I quite like that as well. That's kind of nearly got that naive art thing going on as well. But not, you know, but it's not, but not quite. Yeah. So, the, and I love your use of color as well. Oh, thank so, you. Yeah. Because it's an unusual palette through mm. although it's hard it's harder to tell through images if i'm not looking at the original but i do remember the um, painting that you had in view from the shore which was a pretty um that was a really interesting and quite politically charged painting yes that yeah. one was that one was more political than this one i think and and a really common a very very common experience for most of us people that have uh, uh, Polynesian blood at us in New Zealand or are, you know, half mixed blood. Yeah, especially. Different nationalities. Yeah, especially women. Like, men get it yeah. too. You know, my one of my friends, Matariki, actually, um, he's he's gotten called Jesus like a million times and it's because he's like a dark <laughs> guy with like a beard and like long hair, you know? <laughs> so that's like the male version. <laughs> Um, wow, that's a yeah, big, wow. That's a big title. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's but kind no. of it, sorry. <laughs> yeah, well, it reminded me, you know, because it's in that painting, you've got that thing of you look like my um, you look like my last girlfriend, she was part Maori as well. Is that right? Is that what this is that what it says? Yeah, it's almost, it, it says, you look a little like my ex-girlfriend, um, yeah. dot, dot, dot. She was also part Māori. And then yeah, on the yeah. other side, it's got um, what they see. And the screen is kind of split. And then it's got this, like, sort of disembodied Bratz doll, Barbie doll. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Oh, oh not, yeah, not disembodied. Really good. It's good. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I remember that's very, that's really good. It's your uh, objectification of culture, of race. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, of ethnicity. And it's just a, a brand lot. to them. Yeah, totally. Like it's, it's a total brand to them. And also it's something that I like have heard about three times myself. And, um, I think the moment where it really hit me that I that I didn't look like the ex girlfriend was when um, I've got another friend who's part Maori and and her boyfriend on like a night out said something like that to me that he had a girl he had an ex girlfriend that looked like me that wasn't my friend who was also Maori so he dated like three Maori girls you know in quick succession throughout high school and then he said that to me and then like years later I saw a photo of this woman yeah that he said that I looked like and no I did not look a thing <laughs> yeah sure. like this person and I just realized like oh the only commonality that we have is being 
Brown. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's a funny one, isn't it? Of, sure is. Of what's, what people see and, and how you feel inside are very different things. Mm. And how, they cho- the, how they've learnt to see as well is another part of it. It gets very complicated. I think. Yeah. The other thing is the truth. The other thing is it's probably that objectification thing is it goes on anyway. Like it goes on with between genders, mainly women get objectified in in the like white women get objectified as well as but but there's kind of like layering layers of it. So it goes. Yeah. You know. Layers of hierarchy on objectification or something like that. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. It's uh, kind of a bit, it's quite complicated. It's really simple and complicated. And There's just this common theme of like these kind of abusive, sort of toxic um, European men sort of bringing these preconceptions of who you are to the table and, and that they haven't really even gotten to know you at all. Yeah, um, sure. And a lot of what that's based on is is stereotypes. Yeah, that's right. So that's why, like, the girl on the other side of the painting, because it's split in half, it's, you look a little like my ex-girlfriend. She was also part Māori, and then on the other side is what they see. And Which what is- they see is, like, a um, a neutered kind of black Barbie doll. <laughs> <laughs> Which they do have now. Did you know that? Did you know that there are black Barbie yeah. dolls now? God. Yes, I, d- I did know that. And, and you that's know supposed what else? to be a sign of liberation. It's so there's so much irony involved in that. But anyway, oh well, you know they actually used to be really cheap as well. They used to stack them, you know, behind the white Barbie dolls. This is when I was a kid. I remember seeing this, and they were something oh. like twenty cents to fifty cents less. Really. Yes. Oh my God, you're joking. Is that real? Yes, that is real. Oh. That's part of what inspired the painting. It, it inspired a poem. I, How yeah. bizarre. I mean, that all of these so things bizarre. we internalize. So, you know, white men, I'm not even blaming them, that they are actually fed this absolute cultural diet of bullshit, you know? Yeah, well, all of us, everybody is. Everybody, everybody is. is. It's a everybody very is. weird thing going on mm. in the world. Mm. But yeah, mm. totally, everybody is. Well, in our world anyway. Yeah, God, that's interesting. I did not know that. I didn't know that because I've never, I never even had a Barbie doll as a kid. So mm. we never, we weren't allowed them actually. Really? <laughs> not quite interesting. A, a priest by that as a kid. But I got over yeah, it. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that is oppressive. <laughs> I wasn't really a doll person, so it didn't matter too much. But some people are real doll people, eh? Yeah. But yeah, so yeah. Well, and so what else have you been up to lately, anyway? Because since the view from the shore, which was a really, I think that was a really quite a strong exhibition, actually. Mm. Of artists. Um, I have. I haven't really been doing so many exhibitions since I've been in Auckland but I have still been writing oh yeah um I've been doing like a poetry class and pumping out quite a bit of poetry um since I've been here and I've also still been podcasting and like kind of updating my skill set and becoming more independent with podcasting because we've 
you know, COVID happened. I had to move to Auckland um, and I couldn't work at the radio station itself. So me and my co-host just kind of taught ourselves to do uh, what they do. Yeah, and that's taught, good. Taught good on you. A lot of sound editing, um, how to use different recording devices and how to hook it all up and um, create podcasts both remotely but also in real life. Wow. That's really good. Yeah. So I've got like a home studio now. And um, one of the other interviewees who I think is coming on tonight, Zaran Southern, I, I yeah. also interviewed him um, yeah, a Cole. couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Right. Yeah. He's, yeah. He sounds like an interesting guy. Thanks for putting me on to him. Yeah, no yeah. worries. He's um He's been on the ball lately, actually. He, he wrote an article about... Um, the hidden history of uh, Ku Klux Klan propaganda in New Zealand. Yeah, I saw that. I saw that. <laughs> That's pretty interesting. So interesting. I, iconography is an interesting thing, and I think a, a lot of it's uh, the history of iconography is missed. I mean, whenever we're talking about things like objectification and with race, you know, which is what racism and sex, any of those intolerant kind of things is about some mm. level of objectification. We are talking about that essentially something, to, it, you know, the positive side of that is probably icons, you know, or, mm. I don't know if positive is the right word, but, um, you know, one element of it is iconography, which I think is a really interesting thing. And a lot of people not understanding the history of icons don't actually realize what they're looking at half the time. I so agree. Yeah, and even colours and everything that he used. Oh, mm. it's, 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 absolutely, and it's cultures within cultures mm. as well, because it's not like everybody's necessarily going to agree with mm. that particular way of looking at things. Mm. Yeah, so I did see the Ku Klux Klan um, article. That was interesting. Mm. Yeah. And the other interesting thing you say about iconography too is like a lot of what my work deals with um, in the podcasting space is iconography. So we, like me and my co-host, we sort of try and do cultural criticism in our podcasts. So that's why we, and that's why I, I interviewed Zaran because I thought that um, the history of, of Ku Klux clan propaganda in New Zealand was interesting because there's all this colonial denialism in New Zealand and despite that you know they saw this movie and they really really celebrated it and to this day we sort of still latch on to American symbols and American oh yeah totally one of one of the ways that um that Hollywood started but part of oh yeah it, 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 the, the Ku Klux Klan film by um, an avowed white supremacist, what was his name? Uh, A.L. Are you talking about Birth of a Nation? Birth of a Nation, yeah. yeah. It was one of the first blockbusters yeah, that was. America had, which yeah. I find interesting because I think Noam Chomsky said that they were funded by that the Hollywood industry was funded by some arm of the state. What was it? Um, the military or something. Oh, wow. Oh, that's kind of interesting. That would make yeah. sense, Birth of a na Nation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Was it, wasn't that, that was just pre-Nazi Germany, wasn't it? That film. That was my understanding of 
It was 1950. Was it oh, was it 19? Was it post? I don't know. Mm. Oh. It, was a, it was a reconstruction of the American Civil War. Oh, right. And by reconstruction, I mean it was propaganda that was supposedly reenacting what happened, but from a, ve- from a white supremacist perspective. Yeah, Which sure. you could compare that to what we did on View from the Shore. Yeah, sure. What, 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 for the audience, what we were protesting with View from the Shore was um, the sort of reconstruction of colonialism that was happening with the two, two year 250 commemorations. Yeah, that's right. Because it, it, it was from a white supremacist perspective, I think. Yeah, well, yeah, def- it was definitely, definitely loaded to a cultural perspective, that's for sure. Mm. Um, I don't, it, it's not what, it's not, I don't think, it's not like consciously, consciously racist, if you know what I mean. It's not like, uh, there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of a lack of knowledge of history that's involved quite often with those things. Mm. I have to say when I saw Jenny Shipley get up and talk and say that she was, she was pro it, I was really, I thought, yeah, I'm definitely going in that exhibition. <laughs> Do you know who Jenny Shipley is anyway? Jenny I just Shipley. thought you might not, I just forget, realized you might not know who she is. Jenny Shipley, I've read about her in Tina Ngata's book, Resisting Colonial Fictions. Oh, yeah. Didn't, didn't she say something really racist in court one time? <laughs> I'm sure she uh, did. About, oh, God. It was something about, like, redressing economic inequality with Māori, and she was talk- She went on this really racist rant about handouts and how if yeah. they can jump through windows and rape people, then why should they be getting handouts or something completely? Oh, God. I'm sure she did. I'm sure really she did say something like that. I know. I found her quite oh, – look, I, she, she had – when she was in the National Party, she, was the, she became the accidental head of the National Party. And I just mm. had my son – it was 1990. Around mm. that time, she, she got in, and, um, and I was freaking out because I was thinking, oh, no, not National – because, you know, it was a different world. Anyway, um, and although I still think that, but but she um, she put out all these family value pamphlets, which was, oh, like, I just, it, they just kind of reeked of Nazi Germany. Originally, the National oh. Party, <laughs> originally the National Party considered themselves to be National Socialists, which I actually found really entertaining. Oh, no! <laughs> I didn't know that because yeah. that's so interesting because um, with, with the Weimar Republic, I didn't Yeah, didn't the Weimar Republic is really, really interesting, eh? Yeah, yeah. And they were all about unity. And in a way, they were unified in white supremacy, but also yeah. socialism. So it's kind of interesting. Like there was, they kind of did pull Germany out of this economic hole that they were in. That Nazi Germany, Nazi, the Nazis did, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the Weimar but it, Republic was really extreme left to really extreme right wing. And I think that's really why the Nazis managed to gain so much power within that, that you know, that kind of hierarchy, that formula, because mm. there was no real, there's nobody really opposing them because it was mm. already too diluted. The whole political scene in, in Germany was already really diluted. 
Well, there's this. I've been reading the um, the shock doctrine by Naomi Klein recently. And, oh yeah, um, what's that? Yeah. By? Oh, it's really really good. Um, a lot of it's I've only gotten about twenty percent in, but there's all these weird brainwashing experiments by the CIA, and she uses Chile as a case study for the oh, beginning yeah. free market capitalism. So 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 in in Chile, the the oh. first place that free market capitalism was implemented was in Chile and it was under a dictatorship. Is that right? Yeah, yes. right. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so she kind of just like tracks the development of it. But one of the things that she said and this is something that the dictator um borrowed from one of the original scientists of free market capitalism, Milton Friedman. So what he said is that with when you want to shock the population into doing something that you want, um, you take the ideas that are already lying around and then when something bad happens, you just kind of make all these changes very, very, very quickly based on those ideas that are lying around and the population that uh, kind of reeling from a crisis will go along with it so it's kind of about it's this idea of like taking ideology such as maybe racism towards the jews that was probably already sort of bubbling and 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 alive rife. it in was Germany. already rife yeah it was already rife but then just really taking it to the next level during the depression so it's disaster capitalism yeah yeah, so it's we've a, actually seen it before. Yeah, I know, I know we have. We just keep reinventing the wheel, yeah. and it's, the wheel's not not working for us. No, <laughs> that's all I can say. It's not it's really. A, it's not a good wheel. <laughs> it's working for. It's working for like a maybe like a five percent dominant elite population, and then it's not even working for for the greater good at all no it's not it's not working for the greater good that's for sure yeah it's only working for a few people it's true it's a yeah i know it's well there are people that would argue that it has it it's just like the roman empire has never died Mm. Mm. and i can see a lot of validity in their argument yeah me too yeah one of the things that i found really interesting was um with you know capitalism and economics is that true liberal cap true liberal economics is is pure capitalism and the free market that's what it is and i've yeah because it seems like a contradiction to what most liberals are talking about that's interesting because i i you know i i see what you mean because like we've got liberal governance in New Zealand at the moment, eh? Yeah. Supposedly. And liberal yeah. media as well. And yeah, they yeah. sort of see themselves as quite socialist. Yeah, that's right. But <sighs> this is, fu- yeah, this is funny. The, Zoran the, was talking about this the other week and how like uh, they, the liberal government is still quite conservative and they still want to enforce state powers though. And, you know, they'll, yeah, they'll right. really push the dialogue so far in terms of allowing self-governance for Māori. And, well, that's and right. Like that. I mean, Labour Labor is renowned for doing shitty things to Māori. Mm-hmm. Like, 
the foreshore debate, the two hoy um, going in and, you know, with mm. the police into the two hoy mm. and just arresting them for nothing, really. <laughs> and all that, and, well, yeah. arresting them for nothing and all that, you know. So Labour was in behind. They bought in, I'm pretty sure Labour bought in a user pays, actually. I might check that. Labour also bought in so, um, Rogenomics. So, yeah, you know, la- la- Labour. I think people, this is the problem with the two-party system. People will obviously vote for Labour above National, but it's still such a a narrow focus between these two parties that don't really serve the community at large. I oh, yeah, totally. It's kind of good cop, bad cop. Yeah. But yeah, there's an element of that definitely going on. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I found that quite interesting as well. Mm. It didn't used to be, like traditionally it was big on trade unions and all that kind of stuff. And I think the biggest, the worst thing that's happened to New Zealand is that the tra- all the unions were dis- disbanded. And, mm. um, uh, you know, just in general to the general population of New Zealand. But for the workers, that's the worst thing that happened. Yeah. And people don't like, I find it kind of, I really think that a lot of people aren't aren't very educated about the true birth of free market capitalism because they talk about it as if it's harmless, that there are no unions. And it seems like this really airy fairy idea now, but in the beginnings of, of free market capitalism being implemented in Chile under a dictatorship, they actually killed school children who were protesting to have like a dollar less on their bus fare. Oh my God. Yeah. They took them out and they just, they just basically, they killed the political, political dissidents who were trade unionists, journalists, socialists, anyone who presented any kind of a threat to this new um, modus operandi of, free market capitalism that gutted the economy so that you're um, talking about you're talking about pinochet eh? yeah so that's who you're talking about with the free market i didn't realize that free market capitalism came in through chile that's kind yep. of interesting but are we is this free market capitalism or neoliberalism because i think it's more when more neoliberal now it's kind of moved into a, it's morphed into a, into a different kind of um mm. area really especially with all the digital and all mm. those kind of other dimensions of reality that go on these days mm. and AI and all that stuff. It's got quite surreal in its own way. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Well, Naomi Klein was calling the Chile case free market capitalism, but I think, uh, I think it's, it's taken new shapes for sure. Yeah, because I don't think, do we still have, so free market capitalism means that basically there's no lid on anything, eh? Which is yeah, kind yeah, of, yeah, actually yeah. that's what happened here with the, after yeah. the earthquake and Christchurch and mm-hmm. they didn't they didn't put any lid on, on the um, rent and all that kind of stuff. So all the rent got ridiculously expensive. And mm. Yeah, so deregulation, privatisation, yeah. off-selling assets to private players, um, God, that's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, it's, just, it's such a weird, like, that's such a, that on that level, it's such a weird argument because 
on the one hand, you know, if you're too far inside institutions, like people that work in institutions all the time, it's so, it must be, they're so, they're so suffocating. I yeah. personally find it that way of working quite <laughs> suffocating. And I think a lot of artists yeah. probably do and a lot of musicians probably do, which is why they don't do it. But um, yeah, they find alternatives. They find alternative ways, which ends up if, if you want to become successful or you want to get paid at some point in time for your artwork, it ends up a kind of uh, entrepreneurial thing which would mm-hmm. seem to be contradictory to the politics of what most artists and musicians and that have, which are usually left wing, not always, but usually. So it's kind of a really interesting conflict. I've been thinking about this lately, but anyway. Well, one of the things about being an artist also is that like one, you know, a lot of us have day jobs. I'm signing up for a teaching program, you know, oh, so good. I'm going to yeah. have a day job soon. <laughs> soon guys Um, but also and like a cool one as well but also I feel like you have to use social media now in some way like you're always being made to like you know for instance we're doing a zoom call but also promoting yourself over social media people always want you to be in their instagram festivals and live streams and build a presence and there's all this kind of pressure to like just go digital and it's just so soulless the digital art world i feel yeah it's a bit disconnected i agree it has Mm. got a real disconnect but japanese art that some of that japanese manga art i don't find disconnected oddly enough i find it quite there's quite a lot of um emotion in the characters in there have and i think it's because they use that kind of baby-like thing like they quite often use that kind of cute thing Mm. you know in their characters and their depiction of characters and stuff like that but Mm. um yeah yeah that's it's kind of interesting isn't it i I find it it gets a bit lateral or something i guess it's just survival like even if like what you said about musicians and artists politics being different to the way that they operate i guess in that entrepreneurial hustling kind of thing it's it's survival rather than choice i feel yeah sure um thank thank you very much Aniwa, for being on this interview oh it's my pleasure um thanks for having me and um i hope everyone's having a great a great matariki new year's yeah absolutely a great yeah. day for it for beginning it yes yes yeah and good luck thank you <laughs> yeah yeah so, good luck with your teaching too yeah and wish me luck tomorrow i've got um i might be being paid for podcasts soon um, oh i've god. been approached by some yeah i've been approached by some people at melon digital wellness app who want um a podcast for, for maori mental health kind of informative interviews and stuff like that so. oh fantastic well good luck. yeah <laughs> my fingers and toes are crossed yes oh that sounds yeah. really interesting yeah yeah oh day and i will talk to you soon no doubt oh uh, yeah 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 i'll catch you soon kath um oh. shout out to radio one and oh yes yeah. <laughs> that's right and and puaka matariki yes
Yeah. <laughs> All right. Kia ora, guys. See ya. See ya. Bye. Bye.